If you're looking to enter farming, diversify, expand or even retire, a useful new handbook with up-to-date practical advice has been published recently. For farming businesses and for consumers, we want to do everything to make sure that those costs are kept to a minimum. We'll hear from the CLA's Susan Twining and Virgin Money are here to talk about a beneficial new facility for farmers and we'll look back at the Mad May Marathon and other matters with Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. We had a Fab May Marathon. We had 91 people signed up in the end, which was fantastic, from all over the county, uh, doing all sorts of different activities as well, actually. Plus some timely agronomy advice, particularly if you grow maize, crop and market reports and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. We've talked many times about rural crime and hair coursing in particular over the years, so it was pleasing to see that the first person's been fined for breaching a community protection order served under the police's Operation Galileo. Good news, but I'm not sure a £400 fine is going to be enough to deter these people who can make thousands in gambling on the sport. But it's a start. Bit of good news too on milk prices, with both First Milk and Meadow Foods announcing price rises in excess of three pence per litre, and producers on Muller's Advantage scheme will see theirs increase by four and a half pence a litre. Less good news, though, with the announcement of the closure of the CF Industries plant in Cheshire, which supplies huge quantities of fertiliser and CO2 for farmers and food and drink producers. They are blaming increases in energy costs. The company did say that this closure will secure the long-term future of their plant at Billingham, but does it leave a big hole in the supply of these products? Virgin Money has launched what they describe as the UK's first dedicated fund to help farmers move to net zero. Head of Agriculture for Virgin Money, Brian Richardson, what can you tell us about this new fund? Uh, Very much looking at how we can support our farming customers. Our Agri-E fund, uh, the E stands for Environment and Efficiency, is there to support farmer investments where what that investment will do is identify a clear reduction in carbon outputs. So we've kept it as simple as possible. Farmers need to have undertaken a carbon audit. If they've undertaken a carbon audit and identified some investment as a result, then they'll qualify for the Agri-E loan. That's an incentivised loan in that we're doing it without any fees attached to it. So it'll involve a normal sort of credit checking and everything else. But subject to that, it is an incentivised loan and very much supporting farmers getting on that uh, track of reducing emissions. Okay. What kind of things might they use the money for? Well, we've been doing a number of pilots in conjunction with carbon metrics. So doing the audits and then seeing where carbon can be reduced. But I think what we're finding through these carbon audits, really, it's not necessarily just the focus on carbon. It's the focus on improving efficiency and reducing costs on farm because obviously if you can improve efficiency and productivity you're producing more using less so uh, reducing the carbon output so we've seen a broad range of items more efficient machinery going through for example some uh, equipment in dairies which use less energy we've seen quite a lot of uh, slurry equipment uh, and handling equipment but really, we, we've purposely left this as, as broad as possible. The other area that's come in as well that, that we're seeing a renewed interest in, I think, is renewables, because one of the quickest uh, reductions in carbon output, but also linking very much to reducing energy costs, is uh, renewables. So renewed interest in that, not for this time around selling energy to the grid, but for actually using it on your own farm. 
who's eligible for this? Is there what's the sort of eligibility criteria? Again, we, we've kept it as simple as possible. So we require uh, the farmer to have undertaken a, a recognised carbon audit. Once they've gone through that process, identified that this is an investment we would like to make that can demonstrate that, then it's a simple matter of uh, applying to us. We're, we're not being incredibly tight and prescriptive on this. It's very much identifying that carbon service and then, then doing that. Obviously, uh, our own customers would, would automatically bring into this, but we're, we're very comfortable seeing new customers at the same time who are, who are interested in making these investments. Okay. Where could we find out more information both about carbon audits and this particular product from Virgin Money? Well, I think speak to one of our relationship managers. My details are on the website and, and I can be easily contacted, so I'm ha- happy uh, people contact me. In terms of carbon audits, etc., then I would suggest people speak to their uh, agricultural consultants who are all very quickly getting up to speed on this and, and looking at these audits. Grants are available. The HDB also has quite a lot on its website as well uh, in terms of that. We're also at the same time launching a net zero guide and that will be available on the website as well, virginmoney.com. All right, Brian, thanks very much indeed for that and thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme again. Great. Good to speak to you. Thanks so much. It's important to point out, in case it wasn't clear, that the money is a loan, not a grant fund. A free handbook has been launched to help farmers with practical advice on business planning and innovation for improved productivity and profitability. The Farming Programme's Andy Marsh spoke to Susan Twining, head of the CLA's land use team, who chaired the Agricultural Productivity Task Force, and started by asking her if the need for the handbook indicates that farmers aren't business savvy enough. I think you'll find that every farmer is very business savvy. They're very aware of the cost of growing crops and producing livestock, but also the price that they're going to get paid at the end. I think what sometimes people don't consider is how they could make that business different or better through maybe looking at efficiencies, through collaborating with their neighbours or working with others to reduce their costs. And I think now, particularly given the rising costs um, for farming businesses and for consumers, we want to do everything to make sure that those costs are kept to a minimum. And they may well be thinking about the future and possible expansion, although in the current climate it may also be that they just want to keep their head above water. Well, that's right. I think the handbook has got something for everybody in there. So if somebody's looking to expand, looking to diversify, looking to um, look for efficiencies, um, or even if they're looking to leave the industry, then there is something for those. I think there's also, it's also a great resource for anybody who's considering going into farming. Um, and there's lots of ideas about how to approach landowners um, to either rent or to approach them for a, a joint venture. We actually hear that not too many people, relatively speaking, are actually coming new afresh to the industry. Why do you feel that is? Are there certain barriers that maybe need breaking down? Yeah, I think there's some very high barriers to entry, particularly if you're looking at buying land and all the machinery and working capital that you need to make a start. But I think what the handbook does is give some ideas for new en- potential new entrants on how they can do that in a different way, whether that's um, becoming a tenant or a share farming agreement, perhaps with somebody who's looking to move away from day-to-day farming activities um, or varying joint ventures for some of the new ideas that are coming into farming, like vertical farming farming or um, other types of farming that is maybe not the traditional farming. And you mentioned a few moments ago about some of the challenges that farmers are facing. Does that make it even more difficult for people who are looking to come afresh to the industry? What's happening with Ukraine and Brexit, etc.? 
I, mean, I think we're definitely at a, a point at the moment where it feels that there's very few things that are very stable at the moment. We've got rising input costs for most businesses. And um, I think that's along with all the change in agriculture policy does make it look very uncertain over the next few years. Farming has always been quite an uncertain activity. And there's a long lead time between spending the money to grow your crops or your livestock and then getting the return. And I think it's just a, a part of the business. I think when it comes to making a start in the industry, that can be quite off-putting. But those who are really passionate about the industry have worked in the industry before. They can often bring in new ideas and new ways of working that actually will uh, result in a profitable and thriving business. I don't know if the handbook actually covers this, but in terms of the variables there are, weather is the obvious one. How difficult do you feel it is to sort of take that on board when you're planning ahead? Because you, you just can't simply legislate for the weather. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think weather is one of the um, areas which can have one of the biggest impacts on on output and the yields that you might be able to get. Um, the only way that you can do it is when you're looking at the budgeting, you need to look at uh, the, a worst case scenario as well as the, the best case scenario and the realistic scenario. So it is about understanding what impact the weather might have. If we go into a drought situation, for example, that can have major impacts on crop yields and uh, livestock fodder so it's really important to to do that worst case thinking if you like and when you're doing your budgeting uh, finally if i can just ask you if there's somebody who hears this and thinks oh yeah i'm interested in getting hold of that how do they do it well it's freely available it is a free resource for everybody and it should be widely available we have it on the cla website we've also it's also available on um the Agricultural Productivity Task Force website as well and you should be able to find it on the AHDB website as well and many other organisations are all, all also promoting the handbook. A useful handbook that, well worth a read, thanks to the CLA's Susan Twining and Andy Marsh. To that man who walks the fields for us now, crop doctor Sean Sparling has some timely agronomy advice as ever. Morning Sean, bit of a wet and windy one. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, and it's because of the weather over the last week that I'm going to keep this relatively short because with anything from 20 to 50 mil of rain, depending on where you were over the last seven days, and the wind did very little to help us go out and play ball when it comes to spraying, pretty much everything that needed doing this time last week, unless, of course, you managed to get it done on Monday when the wind dropped a little, it still hasn't been done and it's still going to need doing next week. So suffice to say, with regards to agronomy, just listen back to last week's podcast because everything you need to know is on there. Things are changing quite quickly though, as we said they would get rain and warmth coupled with these long hours of daylight that we get in June and we're seeing all seed rapes starting to change colour now, but rightly so, it needs to because we'll be spraying it off in about four weeks time. Winter barley, odd fields went down as a result of some of the thunderstorms that went through on Sunday evening and some of the heavy bursts of rain and wind which hit some very green, thick, lush stuff. That was going to be inevitable if they hit that sort of weather. But alongside some fields which are similarly thick and totally unaffected. And that really shows the localised nature of some of these downpours that we saw. But then again, barley will always stand up again when it goes down this early in the season. So don't panic. 
if you ask your agronomist about it, he'll tell you it's the sign of a very thick, high-yielding crop. If it stays standing, he'll tell you, or she'll tell you, that it's because they've done such a good job with the growth regulator programme. Sugar beet belting away to full ground cover in many cases, and it's still nearly two weeks to the Lincolnshire show. I've never seen wheat flowering May before, and nor have I ever seen sugar beet at full ground cover in 32 years before the end of the first week of June. We are still finding Mises persicae aphids about in sugar beet. One nymph per four plants, remember, in backward crops. And there's an awful lot of fields with areas or plants within them which are only just two to four leaves, whether they went in a bit deep, whether it got dried out or whatever. But do prioritise those crops and the areas of crops where perhaps your emergence was compromised if you have yet to reach the 10 leaf stage. Keep looking though, once you get above 10 leaves, the threshold does drop down to one nymph per plant from one nymph per four plant. And with the plant's own resistance above 10 leaves starting to help them against the virus, only then go if you are easily exceeding those thresholds on the bigger plants. Plenty of ladybirds, hoverflies, wasps, lace wings in them now too. So it is uncharted territory. We're using a much lower dose of neonicotinoid, but only spray, as I say, if you're hitting or exceeding those thresholds. I'm seeing no signs of beet virus out here thus far. I'm sure we were seeing it by now the last time. It was really bad, 1920 that year. Uh, but the weight goes on for that particular droid so for all that said and you listening to last week's podcast for the agronomy as so little has changed i thought i'd just clarify maize growth stages for you because i get a lot of phone calls from farmers those i deal with and those i don't deal with as well as agronomists about it and it can be confusing so maize seems to romp through to six or seven leaves in just a couple of weeks but actually it doesn't because a leaf is not a leaf in maize until it's got a ligule to the stem or a collar at the stem end so leaf one which is the only leaf in maize that will have a rounded tip is not a leaf unless it's collared onto the stem leaf two which will like all the other leaves in maize have a pointed tip again isn't a leaf until it has a collar onto the stem now at the leaf two stage or v2 which is vegetative stage second leaf the crop will reliably be between two and four inches tall and at the two leaf stage it's still getting all of its nutrition and its energy from the seed kernel although the nodal roots will have already started to elongate leaf three is about three to four weeks after the crop emerges and at leaf three collared to the stem the plant switches to photosynthesis for all of its energy and that's why a folia manganese magnesium nitrogen trace element mix at the leaf three stage when it's collared is a very very good idea because the nodal roots take over growth at that point and it's when leaf four produces a collar onto the stem the plant is seven to nine inches tall that herbicides are best timed at that point at leaf five where you've got five leaves collared onto the stem the plant will be between 8 and 12 inches tall but the growing point will still be below the soil surface and that's important because you may well see eight or nine leaves showing but none of those are counted as leaves until they've got a collar onto the stem so four leaves is when you go with the herbicide don't go after six leaves because after six leaves the growing point is above the ground and very susceptible to damage from hail as well as herbicides etc i hope that's helpful for you leaf one rounded tip all the other leaves pointy and a leaf is not a leaf unless it's got a colour onto the stem right pray for a better spraying week then and i pray that open farm sunday goes well for all of you let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean the farming program with araquit steel stockholders withambrook industrial estate Gransom. for all your steel needs call their friendly experts
LRSN, the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, has been very busy lately. What with the Mad May Marathon and loads of other stuff going on, let's catch up with Head of Charity, Amy Thomas. Morning then, Amy. Morning, Steve. It's been brilliant. You're right. It has been a really busy time for us at LRSN um, and we had a Fab May Marathon. We had 91 people signed up in the end, which was fantastic from all over the county, uh, doing all sorts of different activities as well, actually. And even though we're now into June, the Mad May Marathon comes to a conclusion with a tractor run this morning. Yes, it does. We've got some tractors leaving Dunstan this morning and they're going to drive the marathon distance. So uh, we're really excited to see all of them out and about. Good, good. Well, let's hope you've raised loads of money because I know it, uh, it's not a cheap thing running LRSN, is it? No, it's not. And uh, we, we've been busier than ever before, actually. So uh, we're really grateful for every donation that comes our way. Um, and we've been really lucky. We've had lots of people getting involved in the Mad May Marathon and raising our profile as much as anything else, uh, which is really, really helpful. Excellent. Now, you had a meeting a few days ago. You were asking questions of those who turned up as to what they thought were the key challenges for farmers and growers in the area. What kind of responses did you get? Uh, It's really important to us that um, the services that we deliver are shaped by the people we're trying to help and that we're doing the right things and addressing the right issues. And it was interesting to hear uh, that the things that were being raised, I think a lot of it won't come as any surprise to anybody. There's a lot of talk of there being a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. We've got changes in policy, reduction in subsidy, uh, you know, a lot of information out there that's quite confusing for people at the moment. And actually, the reduction in subsidy, quite interestingly, is having a real effect on people's freedom to take risk in their business. So the concern there was not just the fact that less money will be coming in, but the actual freedom to do what you want with your business. The feeling in the room was that actually, for many, the basic payment subsidy was the only piece of guaranteed income that they they would have coming in. Everything else, you know, as we know, fluctuates and is subject to change. Um, But actually knowing that they've got that guaranteed income and kind of knowing at what level that was going to be would give people the freedom to make business decisions. And as that now is falling away gradually and people are facing increasing costs in every direction that they look, people are feeling that they perhaps can't take those business decisions are not quite sure what the next month is going to look like at the moment, let alone the sort of forecast for the next year. So what's next on the agenda for LRSN, Amy? Well, we're busy with the Health Hut still, um, which is, uh, we're really pleased with the Health Hut. It's made a real impact. It's been to quite a few shows and uh, to different events. And uh, we will have it out at the Lincolnshire Show. So that's the next big event on our horizon. Um, It's going to be there both days and we're going to have some nurses there doing health checks. So we're really excited to do that. And then it's more of the same, really, making sure that we're spreading the word about the support and the help that's available for people and making sure that people know that there are lots of different ways to get in touch with us um, and that we're there for them. Yes, as you say, Lincolnshire Show just 10 days away. Great to have it back. Uh, I'll see you there. Thanks, Amy. Fantastic. Thank you. Always good to catch up with LRSN. They do such great work. And if you think they may be able to help you, visit lrsn.co.uk or call 0800 138 1710. To the markets we go now with the weekly livestock report from Louth's auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. 
Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from Louth for Monday the 6th of June, which included our early summer show and sale of all prime sections across the cattle and sheep. Starting with the cattle, where we start with the champion beast from F. Wallison and Sons of Biscothorpe, which sold to 275 pence per kilo and grossed £1,633. Reserve champion beast from J.C. Scully in the heifer section saw a top of 267 pence per kilo and sold to £1,354. On to the cows and starting with the first prize cow which sold to a top of 184 pence per kilo and £1,412 for G.H. and V.A. Rutter of Sleuthby while cull bulls from F.W. Robinson and Son of Horsington topped at 150 pence per kilo and grossed £1,435. This week was also store cattle week which saw a top for cows and calves for Mark Forrester of Lincoln at £1,390. Store steers topped at £1,060 for Giles Everard, while heifers topped at £1,110 for WH Jakeson Sons. Moving on to the sheep, which saw more across the scales and a lifting trade which would be some 12 pence a kilo dearer on the week, with an SQQ of 339.36 pence per kilo. Top came for the day's reserve champion Penner Lambs, which was found in the Continental section for Scrivelsby Farm, selling to 432 pence per kilo or £190 per head. On to the prime hogs, and a handful on offer, which saw a mixed show with plenty of end of draw hogs, with a top for Fox and Agri, and AJ Colson and Sons, at £138 per head, with Jonathan Major seeing a high of £148 per head. Pence per kilo was topped by Fox and Agri of Beesby, at £307 per kilo. On to the cool use, and more about, and a lifting trade, saw so an all-in average of £154.21 per head. Top came for GW Allison of Thorsway with their first prize U at £250 per head, with plenty more continental U's selling between the £200 to £220 mark. Finally, store sheep and just a handful of U's and lambs on offer saw a top for DW, NE and JW Chevins of Sutton Combeckingham near Newark, which topped at £67 per life. A huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week and the sponsors for our show and sale and the vendors and buyers that support us week in, week out. Tomorrow is back to our weekly prime and cool sale of cattle and sheep. So for all entries, please do not hesitate to contact me at any point throughout the week. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market and thank you. Thanks as ever, Oliver, to the Grey Markets now with Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning to you, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Price pressure from specific traders and algorithms remained the dominant theme as the propaganda machine turns out headline after headline to fuel the current flames. Physical trade activity, both domestically and internationally, has almost ceased with consumers deferring demand in the hope that new crop will weigh on prices. Farmers have, in the main, taken advantage of the higher prices and sold a reasonable percentage and are now relaxed sellers. The debate around what the real price of wheat should be is subjective. Suffice to say that 30% post-war invasion wheat price would increase does not look excessive when compared to the other sectors, i.e. fuel, electricity, fertiliser, etc., A temporary increase on a loaf of bread is negligible when compared to the recent increase in fuel and utility bills. Lots of chatter of the Ukrainian grain moving via neighbouring borders, although this may change when Romania, Bulgaria and Poland ramp up their own export programmes at harvest. There is also the question of Ukrainian fuel supplies, machinery, parts, storage, availability and logistical challenges posed by both the ongoing war and the devastation to their infrastructure. Looking at barley this week, the UK malting barley crop export prices have weakened further in the last 10 days. 
They followed the world wheat price down, really only on rumours of grain corridors being established to allow exports from the Ukraine. The loss of some £50 of war premium, which we forecast could happen, is now a reality. For the time, this has left the high malting barley price looking very vulnerable to further erosion. Denmark have continued aggressively selling new crop malting barley as their spring barley has enjoyed ideal conditions, because these are record values. They have also linked both sales for 2023 and 2024 harvests. The French malting barley crop is more variable. It looks good to the south of Paris, where 60% is autumn planted, and also in the Mosul region. Northern France and the Champagne region have had more mixed weather. The UK has now had more rain in the last week, so even the lightest land has had sufficient moisture. We now need some sunshine for more grain fill. After a fall in the forward wheat price, we will see an impact on the malting barley premiums. Whilst not as high as they were, they are still historically very good prices. Looking at all seed rate, market volatility continues with wild swings on Matif. The week started firm, with Matif higher on the back of the adverse weather across Europe. However, Tuesday saw Matif losing a lot of the previous day's gains. Buyers are now at lower levels and no physical offers meant another quiet day on the trading front. On Wednesday, the market bounced following vegetable oil strength and support from firmer crude oil and Chicago. The lack of sellers is making it difficult to test the market and is continuing to underpin prices. So looking at prices this week, old crop wheat prices, please speak to your local farm business manager. But for August new crop, 270 to 278, November 288 to 293, and May 293 to 299. Milling wheat premiums are circa 25 to 30 pounds currently. Feed barley for July, new crop, 235 to 245, moving higher in November to 260 to 268. February 263 to 270 and May 268 to 274. Again, for specific malting barley premiums, please speak to your FBM. And finally, oilseed rate July 635 to 642, November 645 to 652, with limited carries going forward at the moment. Thanks very much, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A mostly dry, sunny first half of the week with the westerly breeze easing off and highs in the upper teens Celsius. Light and variable winds for the middle of the week before picking up again to the mid-teens MPH by Thursday. Cloudier for the end of the week and some light rains forecast Thursday, Friday and a warmer end to the week with daytime highs in the mid-twenties. Good luck if you're taking part in Open Farm Sunday today. Do let me know how it goes. Next week, we'll look ahead to the welcome return of the Lincolnshire show and to Groundswell and get an update on the direct drill day organised by Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward a couple of months ago. How are those crops all drilled by different machines comparing? I'm Steve Orchard. Until next time, have a good one. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years.